Just as the strong wind uproots a feeble tree, so Mara overwhelms the man who lives only in pursuit of pleasure, who does not control his senses, who knows not how to moderate his appetite, who is lazy and wastes his energies. In Buddhist literature, Mara represents the spirit of evil, all that is contrary or opposed to the spiritual life. In certain cases, he represents death, but not so much physical death as death to truth, to the spiritual being. Here it means that so long as one does not control one's senses and desires and concerns oneself with external material satisfactions as the most important thing, one has not the will necessary one has not the will necessary to resist the attack of hostile forces and all that pulls us down and leads us away from the spiritual reality the dhammapada does not take its stand so much on the moral point of view it is not evil as men understand it with their blind justice and their arbitrary sense of good and bad Evil, from the spiritual point of view, is truly that which leads us away from the goal, which sometimes even tears us away from the deepest purpose of our existence, from the truth of our being and presents us from realizing it. This is the way in which it should be understood. Just as the strong wind has no hold upon a mighty rock, so Mara has no hold upon a man who does not live in pursuit of pleasure, who has good control of his senses, who knows how to moderate his appetite, who is endowed with unshakable faith and who wastes not his energies. What the Dhammapada means when it speaks of faith is not at all the belief in a dogma or a religion it is not even faith in the teaching of the Master. It is faith in one's own possibilities, the certitude that whatever the difficulties, whatever the obstacles, whatever the imperfections, even the negations in the being, one is born for the realization and one will realize. The will must never falter. The effort must be persevering and the faith unshakable. Then, instead of spending years to realize what one has to realize, one can do it in a few months, sometimes even in a few days, and if there is sufficient intensity, in a few hours. That is to say, you can take a position within yourself and no bad will that attacks the realization will have any more power over you than the storm has over a rock. After that, the way is no longer difficult it becomes extraordinarily interesting. He who puts on the yellow robe while he is yet impure, lacking in self-control and lacking in loyalty, true he is unworthy to wear the yellow robe of the monk. Of course, the yellow robe in the literal sense is the robe of the Buddhist monks. It became the robe of all who practice asceticism. But this is not what the Dhammapada truly means to say because there is no lack of men who wear the yellow robe but are not purified of their taints. The yellow robe is taken as the symbol of consecration to the spiritual life. 
the external sign of renunciation of all that is not an exclusive concentration upon the spiritual life what buddhism means by impurities is chiefly egoism and ignorance because from the buddhist standpoint the greatest of all taints is ignorance not ignorance of external things of the laws of nature and of all that you learn at school but the ignorance of the deepest truth of things of the law of the being of the dharma it is noteworthy that the two defects insisted upon here are lack of self control and lack of loyalty loyalty means sincerity honesty what the dhammapada censures most severely is hypocrisy to pretend that you want to live the spiritual life and not to do it to pretend that you want to seek the truth and not to do it to display the external signs of consecration to the divine life here symbolized by the yellow robe but within to be concerned only with oneself one selfishness and one's own needs it is interesting to note the insistence of the dhammapada on self control according to the buddhist teachings excess in all things is bad the buddha always insisted on the middle path you must not be too much on one side nor too much on the other exaggerate one thing or the other you must have measure balance in all things the balance of moderation therefore the qualities that make you worthy of leading the spiritual life are to have an inner balance a balance in your action to be moderate in everything to be sincere honest loyal but he who has discarded all impurity who is firmly attached to the precepts of morality who knows how to moderate his appetite and who is loyal he truly is worthy to wear the yellow robe i would not like you to take this text as a moral catechism it certainly has a much deeper and truer meaning because in all truly spiritual teachings morality as it is mentally conceived is out of place so to the word impurity pure as it is understood morally has not at all the meaning it is given in a truly spiritual teaching and particularly and particularly from the buddhist standpoint purity is absence of ignorance as i've already told you last time and ignorance means ignoring the inner law the truth of the being and loyalty means not to take the illusion for the reality the changing and fluctuating appearances for the inner and real permanence of the being we can say that then self control and self mastery measure absence of desire the search for the inner truth of the being and the law of its self manifestation are very necessary preoccupations for those who want to practice the spiritual life to be true to oneself to one's goal not to let oneself be moved by disorderly impulses not to take the changing appearance for the reality these are the virtues that one must have in order to progress on the way of spirituality those who take error for truth and the truth for error will never attain the supreme goal for they are led astray by vain desires and false views a comment could be added for if one was satisfied with taking error for truth and truth for error 
it should be logically very easy to make one's choice. My experience is like this. Whenever you sincerely want to know the truth, you do know it. There is always something to point out there to you, to make you recognize the truth. And if you observe yourself attentively, you find out that it is because you prefer error that you do not find the truth. Even in small details, the very smallest, not to speak of the big things of life, the big decisions that one has to take, even in the smallest things, whenever the aspiration for the truth and the will to be true are wholly sincere, the indication always comes. And precisely with the method of the Buddhist discipline, if you follow up within yourself the causes of your way of being, you always find out that persistence in error comes from desire. It is because you have the preference, the desire to feel, to act, to think in a particular way that you make the mistake. It is not simply because you do not know what is truth. You do not know it precisely because you say in a vague, general, imprecise way, Oh, I want the truth. In fact, if you take a detail, each detail, and put your finger on it, you discover that you're playing the ostrich in order not to see. You put up something uncertain, something vague, a wheel in order not to see behind it. Whenever there is sincerity, you find that help, the guidance, the grace are always there to give you the answer and you are not mistaken for long. It is this sincerity in the aspiration for progress, in the will for truth, in the need to be truly poor, in the need to be truly pure, pure as it is understood in the spiritual life, is this sincerity which is the key to all progress. With it you know and you can. There's always somewhere in the being, something which prefers to deceive itself, otherwise the light is there, always ready to guide, but you shut your eyes in order not to see. Those who know the truth to be true and the false to be false, they attain the supreme goal, for they pursue right desires and correct views. We saw last time that it is not sufficient to be able to distinguish what is right from what is wrong. At first sight, this seems to be the most difficult point. It is quite obvious that if everyone had to find it out for himself, it would be a very long work. You can pass your whole life going through innumerable experiences which little by little will enlighten you as to what is right and what is not. Therefore, it is easier to rely on someone who has done the work before you and whom you have simply to ask, is this true? Is that false? Evidently, that offers a great advantage. But unfortunately, it is not always sufficient. For if you have the desire that things should be in a certain way and then what you prefer should be right, then you're not always ready to listen to good advice. The last sentence, for they pursue right desires, which seems to be a commonplace, is perhaps the most difficult part of the problem. In this book, in this teaching, there are short sentences that appear so simple. If you read without sufficient reflection, you tell yourself, but it is self-evident, you recognize as true what is true and as false what is false. What does that mean then? But first of all, it is not so easy 
to distinguish what is true from what is not, then to recognize. That is to say, to admit that a certain thing is true and above all, it is more difficult still perhaps to recognize that a certain thing is false. There are teachings which say that one must have no desire at all. They are the ones that aim at a complete withdrawal from life in order to enter into immobility of the spirit. The absence of all activity, all movement, all form, all external reality. To attain that, one must have no desire at all. But if in your conception of yoga, you keep the idea of progress, and if you admit that the whole universe follows a progression, then what you have to do is to shift the objective of desire instead of turning it towards things that are external, artificial, superficial and egoistical. You must join it as a force of realization to the aspiration directed to the truth. These few words, they pursue right desires, are a proof that the teaching of the Buddha in its essence did not turn away from the realization upon earth, but only from what is false in the conception of the world and activities as they are carried on in the world. Thus, when he teaches that one must escape from life, it is not to escape from a life that would be the expression of the truth, but from the illusory life as it is ordinarily lived in the world.